Our scripture this morning is Romans 7, 15 through 25. Like Dr. Barnett said, that's page 800 if you're looking at a pew Bible. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is the word of the Lord. This is so difficult to preach on because it's so (laughs) difficult to deal with. Mark Twain once said, we are all like the moon because we all have a dark side. And I don't think he was a very committed believer, but I think he's right and we wage war within ourselves, it's really like a civil war between our good side and our dark side. For Christians, it's even more intense. Paul calls it waging war with the old nature and then the new nature that we've been given in Christ, and therefore we are more sensitized to this battle, so oftentimes it's more difficult for you and for me. I'll never forget uh, having lunch with a guy named Bill Collins, Dr. Collins, who teaches political science at Sanford. Anybody had William Tear? Have you had him in class? Anybody else? really original guy. He's just the prototypical professor with his beard and has that wonderful geeky professor uh, thing about him, and he's a brilliant guy. But I don't know if you know this, William, he, he was a monk before he came to Sanford University, and when he retires, he wants to go back to Rome and be in some monastic order there and be a monk once again. Always an interesting guy to talk to, and I remember saying to him one time, Bill, it must have been a lot easier to be a Christian when you were a monk because you were up there in a monastery somewhere, you know, sequestered. You were uh, so far away from all these different distractions and everything. And he interrupted me. He said, absolutely not. He said, just the opposite. So people don't understand that. He said, yes, you are further away from other distractions. And so, yes, you see how much more you have the potential to be more like Christ. But the problem is you still can't do it. And your sins are all the more magnified because you don't have distractions away from those sins that are right there in your face. He said, it's even worse. And I think that's fair to say in the Christian life that as we try to do battle with this old nature and live by the new nature that we have found through Christ, it's even more difficult sometimes for Christians. Now, I'm not trying to get us off the hook. I'm just saying it's a difficult, difficult war that we wage. Steve Shoemaker called it the Jekyll and Hyde syndrome. You know, part of you wants to live for Christ, but part of you struggles with that and doesn't want to live for Christ. It's a part of our broken, depraved nature. Now, Romans 7 is a beautiful passage. It's kind of intense, really, but it's a portrait of a struggling Christian who's battling this and is just very self-disclosive about it. And what I find comfort in is that it's actually the greatest missionary who ever lived and the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. But he kind of rips his heart out and just puts it on the table and says, I struggle with this so badly. I mean, I mean, he just puts it out there, bears his soul, says, this is it. Here's my struggle. I mean, you want to talk, uh, talk about a great example of somebody who lives up to what our theme has been this year, which is what? Real people, real life, real love. Here's the guy. 
being as real as he could possibly be in Romans chapter 7. And he talks about this Christian life and we're trying to live under the law, but what does it mean to live under the law? It means trying to please God by your own efforts, which you really can't do. You can't do it through your own willpower, but that's the problem. It leads to frustration because we want to try to do that. And we just can't do it. And it magnifies this civil war within, with our dark side, with our old nature. Now, Paul in this passage identifies five struggles related to this war within. And we got PowerPoint this time because of an important theological piece that I'm going to present in just a few minutes. But first of all, he presents the problem. Look with me at verse 14 there in chapter 7. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Now, that's an intense image there towards the end, sold as a slave to sin. But that is, that's the problem of these two natures, this sin that seems to dominate my life. And when you look at this passage in, in its entirety, you see what the problem is. Bottom line, Paul has an eye problem, not like up here, but with his whole self. The word I is used 27 times in these verses. 27 times, and that's your problem and my problem. We're too consumed with ourselves. The word me appears six times. The word my appears uh, six times. The word myself appears twice. Really drives home the fact that we are the problem. What was that old cartoon, the Pogo cartoon? We have met the enemy and he is what? Fill in the blank. Us. We've met the enemy and he is us. And that's the problem. The problem is not the devil, the diabolos, the, 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 the satan, whatever you want to call the devil, it, it's, it's really us. Proper orthodox theology says what? The devil is responsible for temptation, but who is responsible for giving into that te- temptation and sinning? Well, that's us. You cannot blame the devil made me do it. Can't, can't do that. That's not, that's not good theology at all. And so there's this war inside as their old nature is continually trying to take over and dominate and possess our new nature. And so that's the major problem, and we're we're a slave to sin so often, which leads to the confusion. The problem leads to confusion. Look at verse 15. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense. You know, I, 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 and, and he says, he's saying, I don't understand what I am doing. He's not saying, I don't know what I'm doing. We can't say that. You know full well when you sin or when you're sinning that you are indeed sinning. <laughs> but sometimes we don't understand it. Why do I keep giving in to that? I know it's not good for me. I'm so perplexed by that. Why can't I start doing good things and stop doing bad things? Have you ever gotten up in the morning with the best of intentions saying, this, today I'm going to do better? And by the end of the day, it's like, uh, no such luck. And we see the absurdity of it because we know how bad it is for us. It reminds me of the Robert Fulgham story he told, and this was a true story about a fire that was going on in somebody's house, and smoke was billowing from a room upstairs. The firefighters burst in, went upstairs, busted down the door where the smoke was coming out, and there was a man lying on a burning bed, okay? They reach over and rescue him, douse the bed, they get him outside, And the newspaper account said that they asked the man, how did this happen? And his reply was, this was in the newspaper, his reply was, I don't know, it was on fire when I lay down on it. Okay. You see the absurdity of that statement. And it points to the absurdity of, we know that this thing, I know this thing that I'm wanting to do or think or say or see or whatever is not good for me, but I do it anyway. We know that lying down on a burning bed is just crazy and absurd, and yet we do that very thing because of this old nature waging battle and getting the best of us. 
So it's obviously a problem that gets us confused and it leads to frustration. Look at verses 17 and 18. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Now, now that's not an excuse. I'll go back to that. I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. It gets frustrating. I, really, I know the good I'm supposed to do, but I can't do it. And I can't carry it out. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he comes back and Peter had been asleep. You remember what he says? The spirit is willing, but... Somebody fill in the blank. The flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus knew. Jesus understood. And he understood the frustrations you and I face when we are tempted by this dark side. And so often it gets the best of us. Now, I want to get to this great theological work that I think best paints a picture of this frustration of our temptation and giving into sin. It's by two great theologians named Frog and Toad. Anybody ever read Frog and Toad? How many of y'all remember Frog and Toad? You like Frog and Toad? Yes. So got a big fan up here. Frog and Toad. And this is from the book Frog and Toad Together. And the title of this parable, if you will, is Cookies. Anybody know this one? Do you know this one? It's a good one. Toad baked some cookies. These cookies smell good, said Toad. He ate one. They taste even better, he said. Toad ran to Frog's house. Frog, frog, cried Toad. Taste these cookies that I've made. Frog ate one of the cookies. These are the best cookies I have ever eaten, said Frog. Frog and Toad ate many cookies, one after another. You know, Toad, said Frog with his mouth full, I think we should stop eating. We will soon be sick. You are right, said Toad. Let's eat one last cookie, and then we will stop. Frog and Toad ate one last cookie. There were many cookies left in the bowl. Frog, said Toad, let us eat one very last cookie, and then we will stop. Frog and Toad ate one very last cookie. We must stop eating, cried Toad as he ate another. Yes, said Frog, reaching for a cookie. We need willpower. What is willpower, asked Toad. Willpower is trying hard not to do something you really want to do, said Frog. You mean like trying not to eat these cookies, asked Toad? Right, said Frog. Frog put the cookies in a box. There, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can open the box, said Toad. That is true, said Frog. Frog tied some string around the box. Now, there, we will not eat any more cookies. But we can cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That is true, said Frog. Frog got a ladder. He put the box up high on a shelf. There, said Frog, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can climb the ladder and take the box down from the shelf and cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That is true, said Frog. Frog climbed the ladder, took down the box from the shelf, cut the string, opened the box. He took the box outside and shouted in a loud voice, Hey, birds, here are cookies. Birds came from everywhere. They picked up all the cookies in their beaks and flew away. Now we have no more cookies to eat, said Toad sadly. Not even one. Yes, said Frog, but we have lots and lots of willpower. To which Toad responded sadly, You may keep it all, Frog. I'm going home to bake a cake. (laughs) The end. That's exactly what Paul is talking about in this passage. He says, you know, I have the desire to do what's right and good, 
but I can't do it with my own willpower, and I'm confused, and I'm frustrated, and it's because of the sin that lives in me. Hear me, that's not an excuse. He's not blaming it on sin. He's saying, I am giving in to the sin that the devil is tempting me with. I don't have to give in to it, but I am. So it's the sin living in me. I'm letting sin usurp me and possess me and dominate me. He's not blaming it on sin. He's saying, sin's in here, and I'm giving in to it. It's on me. I'm letting the old nature overtake this new nature that Christ has given me. And that's why for you and me, sometimes it's a more intense struggle than it is for people who are not believers. Because we see this new nature that we so desire to be and yet don't live up to it. Now, let's review the struggles so far, okay? You got the problem, you got the confusion, you got the frustration. And then finally, he just addresses the war itself. Look at verse 21 and we'll go through verse 23. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, really that's in my new nature is what he's saying, but in my new nature I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. He realizes he's a prisoner of the law of sin, and that law of sin, really, it's like gravity, Uh, um, uh, Anna just said, you know, when I feel like I'm getting wrestled down by sin, she used that phrase. That's a great phrase because oftentimes it does wrestle us down. It's like gravity and it keeps us pinned down and it ties you down. And and I like the way John Calvin put it. John Calvin likened it to to a bird with broken wings. I mean, you could pick up a bird whose wings are are terribly broken and throw it up in the air. Do you think it's going to be able to fly and fly away? No, not at all. Same thing with us. We are so broken in our sin, there is no way out of our own willpower that we can get ourselves free of this plight of sin in which we find ourselves. We need help with it. We are too broken. We can try to flap our wings all we want, but it's not going to get us there. And that's the basis of the war, and it really makes us a hostage, finally, the hostage. Look at verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? What a wretched man I am. The word wretched there literally means worn out from exhaustion. (laughs) Have you ever been there? You know, I have fought such an intense battle and I'm now absolutely out of energy. I'm tired of being tired. I've tried to overcome this temptation and this sin in which I fall into because of the temptation. And it's this dark side and I cannot get away from it. And I'm just worn out. Sick and tired of it. The good news is, oftentimes, that's a great place for you to be. Have you ever been there? Are you there right now? It can be a great place for you to be. Why? Because maybe you're finally primed to give up, (laughs) as you need to, you know, and and realize of your own willpower, you just can't do it. In fact, do do what Anna had you do a minute ago, and just do do your hands like this one more time. Because I think one other aspect of that is just simply being ready to surrender yourself over to God and yield in this, saying, I can't do this anymore I need your help. Okay, you can put your arms down. It reminds me of, of lifeguard training. I, I, I've heard that lifeguards, you know, one of the things they teach lifeguard guards is sometimes when somebody's out there in the water, before you can actually rescue them, they just have to get exhausted because they're out there flailing and feeling out of control and it's all chaotic. And you've just got to, you know, stay close to them and maybe have a light hold on them, but you just got to kind of let them work that out and wear themselves out to the point of exhaustion, and then they will collapse into you, and you can bring them back. And I think before you and I let ourselves get pulled under, we've got to really calm down ourselves and look at the rest of this passage, because the good news does indeed come at the end of 
this peace. Now again, if you would, look at the last verses of chapter 7, and then we'll look at the first verse of chapter 8. And this is what I want to say. Keep in mind, please, that when Scripture was first written, you didn't have chapters and verses. That came along in a certain English translation of the Bible. Will, you had me for biblical perspective. Do you remember which one? Not the King James, but the... Start, do you know? Okay, phone a friend. <laughs> That's so good. Want to phone a friend. No, and William, you've got a very good grade in the class, so don't, no, no. That was a long time. That was a very minor thing, so no, I thought I'd put you on the spot. Well played, sir. I hate it when I get one up like that, but anyway. No, it's well played. It was, it was the Geneva Bible back in the 1500s, and actually I've got the notes here, Geneva Bible, so I've got the cheat notes. 1560. Did I know that until I looked down? No. So, it was the Geneva Bible that started dividing it from chapters into verses, but just keep in mind that the chapters and verses are not inspired. Scripture is, but that part isn't. What am I, why am I saying all that? Because when Paul wrote this, it was one piece. And it wasn't all divided up, so you've got to remember that twice at the end of this chapter and at the beginning of the next chapter, he says, yes, this is all difficult, but there's good news here. Look at verse 24. It says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And he goes right on to say, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, you know, we are wretched, but thanks be to God, Christ is there for us. Now look at the, next, the, the latter part of verse 25, and let, then let it move on into chapter 8, verse 1, as if it's one whole statement because it really is and it's right up here on the screen here so then i myself in my mind am a slave to god's law but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus that's how it reads it's almost like if you ended at the end of chapter seven it's like oh man that's that's a real downer but it, it got it goes right on to say but there's no condemnation it reminds me of romans three twenty three that we all memorized for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god it's not the end of the sentence and then, and then it says, but, but we are justified fully by his grace through Jesus Christ. I mean, it's like there's good news there too. So I think it's always important to keep in mind, yes, we are a slave to sin, but there is no condemnation in Christ. Now, that's the good news of having that new nature. Yes, we're more aware of the intensity of this struggle, but at the same time, we're also aware that that grace that rains down upon us is always there. And there is no condemnation. Yes, we will still struggle. But he still will not let go of us. That beautiful song of love that will not let me go. Romans 8, 28 going on. Romans 8, 38. uh, For nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. And that's the good news. And because of that unconditional love, we can press on. And what's cool about pressing on into chapter 8, what's chapter 8 all about? It's about letting Christ live through you through the power of the Spirit. So we don't have time to go there, but that's what's so great about it. Okay, so now, what do we do knowing that we have Christ to work with us. You know, where do we start with this battle with sin? Well, first of all, I'll use a phrase that we've used all year, be real. I mean, we've got this theme of real people, real life, real love. I so appreciate, again, how the Apostle Paul is just so ragingly honest about his own inner struggle. We all struggle that way, every single one of us. And here's the greatest missionary of all, but he says, I've got this war within, and I'm going to bear my soul about it. And I think it's so important to be honest with God, and sometimes, sometimes when it's appropriate with trusted friends, you might need to be honest with them, too, about your weaknesses, your struggles, your sins, whatever it might be. First year when I was minister to the university at Sanford was, what, 94, been a while now, but I remember this guy who came along and and walked in and and, uh, 
you know, introduced himself, just said, I just wanted to meet the new guy. I was like, oh, great, sit down. And so we started talking, and I said, well, what are you involved in? And he told me about different social groups he's in and all that. And he said, and I'm also in an accountability group. And I said, oh, well, tell me about that. And it was really, he said, well, uh, I ran in, I've run into six different guys along with myself. There's seven of us. And we all struggle with lust. And he got real specific. He said, we, we struggle with lust and pornography. And uh, uh, so what we do is get together once a week and pray for one another, confess our sins, confess our struggles, and just really hold one another up. And, and, and if one of us is struggling at some point, we, we can phone somebody, phone it in, we can phone somebody, uh, you know, just talk to somebody. We didn't have good email back then, but, you know, we, they could phone somebody, go find somebody and say, hey, I'm really, really struggling with this right now. And I just thought, that is so cool that, that they really lift one another up in that way. And he said, well, we just all realized we couldn't do it on our own. We couldn't do it on our own willpower. It was just no way. So we had to kind of let ourselves be lifeguards for each other. And it kind of reminded me of the whole, you know, you, 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 you've got to let somebody, you know, stop fighting and then go to a trusted friend and then let them help rescue you. Secondly, we need to be prayerful. And by that, I mean we need to be prayerful to God in a very personal, very consistent way. You know, and cry out to him. Now, let me go back to this guy who came and told me about the accountability group. And what's so cool is all seven of these guys have wound up being these incredible, successful guys, great marriages, very devoted to the church, uh, very missions-minded, just seven really, really cool guys that were in this group together. It's been fun to keep up with them. But he said, yeah, when we get together to pray, and I said, well, when you pray, like, what do you do when you yourself and there's not a friend around and you just can only call out to God? He said, oh, it's funny you ask that. He said, we have a standard invocation we start with. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, we thought about just when we started thinking of images or thinking of things we shouldn't do that have to do with lust, that that we would just pray and we'd just cry out, Jesus, which reminded me of JT. Was it last week he spoke? Jesus. And he said, but that, you know, that's kind of simple. And we thought about saying, Father God, you know, I need your help. He said, but Father God can sound kind of distant. And they came up with Brother Spirit, which I thought was cool. He said, because we realize that the Holy Spirit is with us. And that's what the word Holy Spirit means in the Greek, one who walks alongside us. And he's there for us. And he's like, in a way, a big brother. So we would say, Brother Spirit, be with me. I'm struggling with this now. I want to be a better man. I want to be more pure. I want to, you know defeat this temptation and all this and so they would say brother spirit to be honest and these are college guys and all that but they they said you know we we called that dark side whenever we'd start you know struggling with we call it the bs and when we were struggling with the bs we'd call on the bs brother spirit so there you go they're in college so you know it worked it worked for them i'm not saying you need to do that but if you want to go ahead uh but be prayerful but i so admired these guys who were just so uh so determined to deal with this and, and lean into god's help so be prayerful in a very personal, disclosive, honest way. Thirdly, be a wounded healer. You know, by our own wounds and sinfulness, so often we can share our own wounds and, yes, our own failures. I heard a preacher say recently, why do we always have people get up, give up, get up and give triumphant testimonies? Why don't we ever hear people give failure testimonies? I thought that was an interesting point. He said, because you always set up this unrealistic standard because this person has come through this thing and it's all great and fine. And some people are out there probably saying, well, I must not be normal as a Christian. I have said, and you've heard me say, sometimes I think the church needs to have a better theology of failure. But we never struggle with that here, do we, in Mountain Brook? We're not image conscious at all here in Mountain Brook, are we? Uh, laughter over there. Uh, and we're fix-it people. We've talked about that. You know, we... And it's probably hard for some of us because we're so used to being good at things and successful and all that. We don't even want to mess with our failures. You know what I'm talking about. 
And, and yet we've got to do that to be more authentically who we are in Christ. Um, uh, you know, and, and I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 12 about, you know, we are all one body. When one is weaker, we honor that person more. We give more attention to them more because they are at a point of weakness. And I think we've got to do that and be able to be wounded healers and share one another's failures sometimes. And what's great is sometimes there are victorious testimonies and there, are, there is victory. And for that reason, finally, we can rejoice. And I just want to close with this because this last Thursday, you might have known that it's Reformation Day. It was Reformation Day on uh, last Thursday. Some people would say today's Reformation Sunday, and it's the celebration of when on October 31st, 1517, got my cheat notes, 1517, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg door. And I think about Martin Luther, and I think about the song, how many of y'all know A Mighty Fortress is Our God, that wonderful old hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, great song. And there's that wonderful stanza that says this, and just look at it up here. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. That says if we were really relying on our own strength, any striving that we did, any war that we did with our dark side would wind up, we would lose. Except for what? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Were it not for the man who was the very son of God and the man whom God chose to go and live and die for us, we would be in such bad shape. Dost ask who that might be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Because of that mighty fortress and that mighty warrior that he is on our behalf, we can lean into him and we can overcome this sin, thanks be to God. And so we have reason to give thanks. And, and we have reason to give thanks that, that you know, baptism, again, is that wonderful symbol of dying to the self and the old nature and being raised to new life. And, and we have that opportunity each and every day, and we'll celebrate that baptism in a moment. But let's have a word of prayer as we uh, prepare to offer more praise to God through music. Lord, thank you so much that you're there for us. It is so difficult as we battle with these, these inner darknesses, these dark places within us, and, and it's difficult. It's difficult for us to acknowledge them, sometimes even to ourselves, let alone to other people, let alone to you, and yet that's what you call us to do. You call us to be all the more authentic. You call us all the more to be a confessing people. For that is really the only way we can ultimately be rescued from the sin that we struggle with each and every day. We thank you for your grace that pours down like rain upon us. Remind us again that, yes, we have been enslaved to sin, but because we are believers with this new nature, there is no condemnation in us. And because of that, we have reason to stand back up and keep moving. Lord, help us to be the kind of church where people really can lean into one another in weakness, with hurt, that we might give them all the more honor and attention, that we really might be church to them as you call us to be. Forgive us, O oh God, when we are too prideful, too fearful to let people know of our failures and our struggles. Help us to be all the more the authentic church you call us to be. Lord, we're going to sing now, and we offer these words of praise for you, and we give you all the thanks and all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.